Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Why do I feel so empty? And I'm like, because you built a whole effing life on checking boxes that someone else constructed and going along to get along. You know, your, your highest value was avoiding conflict. Right. That will not make the unique life that you deserve and that you want. So the existential loneliness that comes from not being known is real and it's avoidable. I know you are doing the best that you can right now. Your relationships matter to you. You are important. And yet over time, we get stuck. We get lost or we stop showing up as our true self. We get hung up on the stories we tell ourselves, the comparisons, or feeling like we are not good enough. I'm Not Your Shrink is a podcast aimed at helping you feel connected to yourself, to others, and to live a life that is in line with what matters most to you. I'm Dr. Tracy Dalgleish, clinical psychologist and couples therapist. I bring you clinical knowledge and evidence-based research, experiences of sitting in the therapist chair and being a wife and mother to talk about everyday issues we all face to help you change the dialogue in your life. Let's dive in. I want to ask you to pause just as we are starting today's conversation. First, let me express my gratitude to you for joining me here, for clicking play. Your time is something that I don't take for granted. But here's what I know. I know the stressors are increasing. I hear from you over the past several weeks that there are more demands, more requests, more pushes against your boundaries. So just as we're starting today, I want you, if possible, to take a slower, deep breath with me. And if it's possible, tune your attention into your jaw and see if you can just release your jaw a little bit. We tend to carry our stressors in our jaw. But then also, Wherever you are, notice something in your environment. Is it something that you can see? Is it something that you can feel or touch? Is it something that you hear? Is it something that you smell or taste? I've been enjoying my morning walks with the crisp, cold air, and that is always a grounding moment for me. But we need today's conversation because we are navigating the challenges that so many of us feel during this time of year with family, with the commitments. We need boundaries. We need to have limits. We need them for ourselves, but also we need them to remain in a close and connected relationship with other people. So I am beyond thrilled to have you join me for today's episode with Terry Cole. Terry is a licensed psychotherapist, global relationship and empowerment expert, and the author of Boundary Boss, The Essential Guide to Talk True, Be Seen, and Finally Live Free. 
For over two decades, Terry has worked with a diverse group of clients that includes everyone from stay-at-home moms to celebrities and Fortune 500 CEOs. She has a gift for making complex psychological concepts accessible and actionable so that clients and students achieve sustainable change. She inspires over 450,000 people weekly through her blog, social media platform, signature courses, and her popular podcast, The Terry Cole Show. I am so excited to be sharing this conversation with you. Let's go into today's episode. Terry, I'm so thrilled to be sitting with you today. Thank you for joining us here on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. As we get started, well, first, I will point out for listeners that you are holding your mug and your workbook is in the background. Yes, Boundary Boss mug. So if you haven't yet, please go check out Terry's new workbook that's just out, the Boundary Boss workbook. Be sure to check out her book. You are doing such amazing work in the conversations around boundaries, around showing up a line for ourselves. So I know today we're going to have a great conversation, but before we do that, please tell us about you and how did you land here in writing a book called The Boundary Boss and talking all about boundaries? Oh, I don't know, Trace. You know, you know they say you, you teach what you most need to learn, right? Mm. Yeah. And I do believe that's true. So it's not like I landed here because I had some amazing master plan. I landed here because I was a boundary disaster and I was unaware that the pain that I was experiencing in my relationships and even in my career, like so much of it had to do with this lack of this incredible skill set, but I didn't know. So how it was happening, how it was showing up is I was really resentful. I felt like people were taking advantage of me. I felt like, you know, people were entitled as opposed to what was really happening, which, you know, years of therapy in, you you get the clue. You're like, oh, the common denominator in all of these scenarios is me. And are they entitled or have I trained them that I'm an overgiving people pleaser, overfunctioner, auto accommodator, high functioning codependent? Oh, right. That's actually what happened. So the good news with that is that through my own therapeutic journey, I was able to learn how to set boundaries, learn what they were, understand them. Then when I left, because my original career, I was a talent agent negotiating contracts for supermodels and celebrities before I became a psychotherapist. So I did that for almost 10 years. And I mean, not a hotbed of mental health, obviously. Entertainment is not exactly the healthiest place to be. But I saw as I was on my, it was like a parallel process. I was in my therapeutic journey personally. I was in the entertainment business and the healthier I get, the less I can stay in entertainment, right? Because now I'm too healthy to be in this business psychologically. There's boundary violations everywhere. Everything is melded together. It was a bunch of young people, young agents. You're representing young people. It's like there was literally no boundaries. Um, But then when I became a psychotherapist and started my own practice, Now I could see there was literally an epidemic. Every person who came in, it didn't matter what their presenting problem was. What I could see is that we could just connect the dots backwards to lack of this incredibly important skill set. And I was like, wow. So it wasn't just me. It's literally everybody has no idea what this is. And I wanted to write what would become and what I believe is sort of like a seminal text on 
becoming fluent in the language of boundaries from the beginning to the middle to the end where if there's no other way let's say you could never work with me you couldn't take a course with me because of course i have courses on boundaries and whatever i made sure that this book is in a million libraries so that you could go borrow this book mm. and you could still have the same transformation if you can read you can do it and so i just got super committed to this process because it changed the quality of my life so much and deepened the intimacy in my relationship so much. So that's basically how I got mm. here and why boundaries for me. I know so many people can relate to that story, myself included. And I can remember at one point, it was after having my second child and pushing the stroller and feeling so resentful and feeling like everybody was taking advantage of me. And I thought I had good boundaries. And then here I am identifying, oh, these are porous boundaries. I say yes when really I wanted to say no. I change my mind. I flex. I bend. I'm pleasing everybody else. Mm -hmm. And Terry, your story there is so interesting. And I think many people start to experience the tension in what you're saying, which is that when you're going down a road and you're changing, it starts to shift away from a space that isn't allowing you to be that newer mm -hmm. version of you or that more healed version of you in the workplace yeah. or in a relationship. Yeah, it's so true. But let's establish though, because what I really feel like, Trace, that I see all the time is that there's so much confusion about what boundaries even are. Like there's all this language on the interwebs about it. But I feel like when people start asking questions, I'm like, people still don't, are still confused. Yes. So I boiled it down to like my definition of boundaries is I want you to think about it as your own personal rules of engagement. This is how we let other people know what's okay with us and what's not okay with us. Your boundaries, according to me, are made up of your preferences, your desires, your limits, and your deal breakers. Now, it's not enough to know them, and most people don't. You have to know them and then have the ability to communicate them when you so choose. So what do we do with all that information? The first question people always ask is, why don't I know how to do this? Why is this so hard? So if you're in that boat, anybody, if it feels hard, if you're a recovering people pleaser or current people pleaser, it's hard because nobody taught you. And you wouldn't feel bad about yourself if you were not fluent in some language that nobody taught you you wouldn't be like what's wrong with me i must be dumb mm. you'd be like oh i need a teacher i need language lessons i need to set my intention on learning this and then implementing it it's the same exact thing there is no one size fits all when it comes to boundaries though because your boundaries are as unique as your fingerprints and mine are as unique as mine so what is a deal breaker for me might not be for you. And I think that the reason why I teach it the way that I do is that there's gradations in a way of like importance. So a preference is not as important as a deal breaker, right? Like not every boundary request or desire that we have is created equally. Mm -hmm. And I still want you to assert your preferences. And I still think it's important that we let the people in our lives, the important ones, not everybody, but you know, the ones that matter, people in our VIP section, we could say, because sharing, asserting our preferences, our limits, our desires, our deal breakers, those are not just the things that make up your boundaries. Those are the things that make you uniquely you. 
So when you share a preference in your relationship, you're letting your partner or your sister or whomever know you in a different way. And I think that many of us, women in particular, we've been indoctrinated into this like cool girl, easy breezy, you know me, Mm. no fuss, no muss, like almost learning that if you have a preference, you're like a pain or like if you have something to say, you're like hysterical. Like there's so much fear of being judged and categorized. And I want you to really look at your preferences, your limits, and your deal breakers as really important data that when we don't share it with the people in our lives, they don't know us. I mean, the the reality, and I could see this as like the most tragic end to a degree of a life lived basically not sharing preferences, desires, and limits. I would have women coming into my practice, my therapy practice, like sixth and seventh decade of life being like, okay, kids all went to Ivy League schools. I'm on the board of this charity. I go to Soul Cycle three times a week. I still like my spouse. We do a lot of traveling. Why do I feel so empty? And I'm like, because you built a whole effing life on checking boxes that someone else constructed and going along to get along. You know, your, your highest value was avoiding conflict. Right. That will not make the unique life that you deserve and that you want. So the existential loneliness that comes from not being known is real and it's avoidable. I love what you're saying there, Terry, because what we're emphasizing is that, correct me if I'm wrong, but even if it's this is a preference, and I see this in the clients I work with every day, even this preference is worth communicating because that is building the intimacy with another person and so that they can be known. And when it's a preference, you share it. It doesn't mean it's a hard line. It means, and I like to use this as a silly example, but is it pizza or tacos tonight? I really want tacos. And being able to say, I'd love to have tacos tonight is a way of saying Mm -hmm. to your partner, this is where I'm at right here. This is my internal experience. This is what I'm looking for. This is what I need. It doesn't mean that is if you don't get what you want, it's no way, but it's a, how do we then flex, connect, compromise, collaborate together, which is that intimate knowing of two people. Support for today's episode comes from ZocDoc. We all know there are things in life we have to compromise on, like the right way to load a dishwasher or whether those socks are going to stay on the floor for a week. Okay, in all seriousness, but when it comes to your mental health, there is no compromise. So we don't need to go back to that one therapist or one physician who didn't align with what we need just because they're available right now. We don't need to compromise on the care we need for our overall wellness. Instead, this is where ZocDoc comes in. This is a place where you can find and book hundreds of types of doctors, including therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists. And you can find someone who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your well-being. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of patient-reviewed in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. Go to ZocDoc.com I-N-Y-S and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. If I needed this app, this is one that I would be going to. That's zocdoc.com slash I-N-Y-S and get the care that you need today. 
Support for today's episode comes from Cozy Earth. You know I am all about caring for ourselves, especially in these busy years with our young kids. We are pulled in so many directions, but I think it's so important for us to find ways to nurture ourselves that require no additional time from us. I should probably let you in on one of my favorite things to do to look after me, and that is to get a good night's sleep on amazing sheets. I am beyond thrilled to bring you Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding products with an exclusive Mother's Day offer just for my listeners. We've got a code. It's SHRINK, S-H-R-I-N-K, for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. Now, I didn't believe it until I tried them, but I firmly stand by my sleep improving with the temperature regulating technology, which adapts to your body's needs. For the past year, I have not slept on any other brand of sheets. Cozy Earth uses the very best fabrics, materials, and wares, offering superior softness for you to sink into at the end of those long days. I look forward to getting into bed, and we've been loving the sheets for over a year and their sleepwear is so unbelievably soft and it's made with such great quality. But the best part is that if you're worried about commitment, enjoy a 100 night sleep trial and a 10 year warranty on all of your purchases. Head over to CozyEarth.com and use promo code SHRINK for an exclusive 35% off and give the luxury she deserves with Cozy Earth. Support for today's episode comes from Loop Earplugs. For so long after having children, I kept wondering why I was easily overwhelmed and felt like an angry mom. The noise from the kids, the dog barking, and the sounds around me from everyday life. But I now understand that I'm not an angry mom, and instead, my nervous system gets overwhelmed and overstimulated, which is why I've been turning more and more to my loop earplugs to help me stay more regulated and engaged with the family. I'm using loop engage to help dampen the sound around me and these loop earplugs allow me to still be with every beat and conversation i still hear greg i can still hear the kids i love that they are so comfortable and they come with eight silicone ear tips to ensure the right fit for you The best part for me is that I take them everywhere with me. They are proving the test of time and not to mention they're stylish in my ears. Plus, we love the kids versions, which we've been able to take to the movies for our kids. I'm so excited that Loop Earplugs is offering you, my community, a discount so that you too can tackle that overstimulation while still being engaged with the activities and people you love. Visit loopearplugs.com and use my code loop times Dr. Tracy for 10% off your order. That's L-O-O-P-X-D-R-T-R-A-C-Y for 10% off your order. You make a great point about the compromise and collaborate. Like if we're so busy managing, when you think about codependency, the new book that I'm writing right now is on high-functioning codependency, which is a phrase that I coined because in my therapy practice and in my own life, I never identified as being codependent, even though I was like ridiculously so, because I'm such a baller that I was like dependent. What? No, I'm making all the money. I'm doing all the things. Not, everyone's dependent on me, people. Like, I'm not dependent on anybody. <laughs> and of course, this was similar in my therapy practice. These highly capable women, what they're describing, I know is codependency. 
I say, hey, what I'm observing is, I say codependency. And they're like, no way. You have me mistaken with someone else, lady. And I was like, well, how can I help them heal, change these behavioral patterns that are causing them pain if they cannot even see themselves in the description? And, you know, Melody Beatty's, speaking of seminal work, I mean, obviously codependent no more and all the stuff she's done is amazing. But I think that for a lot of women in particular, there is such a bent to that description for being enabling an addict. And there's a different, there's almost like a quote unquote weakness associated with it. My clients are this new version of that, but the pain is still the same. So anyway, I'm literally writing an entire book. Right, right. Um, But that's so interesting though, because we don't, what I've noticed so much is this desire to sink into hyper-independence. I am, no, I'm not going to consider you or your feelings or we're not doing the we thing. This is my sandbox. If you want to come play in my sandbox, only bring your cars over, no trucks, no shovels, right? But in that Mm. way, we end up fusing to the other person. So is it necessarily that we have cut the other person off and we are so independent? Or is this a form of codependency that is functioning at a level Mm -hmm. that allows us to strive and do okay so now you have to define this for us how do you define high functioning codependency well so let's first define codependency which is according to me it's being overly invested in the feeling states the outcomes the decisions the relationships the circumstances of the people in your life to the detriment of your own internal peace your physical well-being your fiscal well-being so obviously we're all lovers. Clearly, we're all invested in the people we love, right? I mean, this is just what loving people is. But this is different because codependency means we're overly invested. When your best friend calls with a crisis, how quickly does that crisis become yours? When you come home and you're in a great mood, but your spouse is in a crappy mood, how quickly either are you dancing as fast as you can to get them out of their bad mood? Or are you suddenly trying to be like, can I get you some wine? What can I do? What did I do wrong? And you don't even feel like you're entitled to your good mood. It's like your partner's bad mood now is the thing that dominates rather than you coming in the good mood. And you know what I mean? Letting that dominate. Again, this is codependency we're taking on. But where does high functioning come in? The women in my practice and the women in my groups and my courses and my mastermind are so highly capable that nobody looks to them and is like, gee, I wonder how Tracy's doing. Wonder how she is. You know what? She's fine. You know what? Because she's always confined. That's why. Because she's the one we go to when there's a problem. Like with my clients, nobody's checking in. They're all like, she's got it. Trust me. But that doesn't change. So the highly capable, it's almost like think about it like a Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, right? If you're high functioning codependency, you're Ginger Rogers because you're doing everything Fred Astaire did, but you're doing it backwards and in heels and making that shit look easy. Mm. And this is what is happening where the suffering is real. The internal experience is real. We are managing the crap out of the people in our lives, right? It's not the same as connecting in a heart way when you're managing everyone because at its base, right? If we look at codependency, it is an overt or covert bid to control other people to control the outcomes, the behaviors, the feeling states. Mm. I don't want you feeling this way. I'm going to do something to change the way you feel right now. I'm going to fix your problem. I'm going to give you money. I'm going to whatever it is. So 
I think a lot of misunderstanding is in there with codependency because at least in my practice, people were like, that's not me. And then when I started doing research on this demographic, which were basically my people, I started seeing these stories. So it wasn't just that you're highly capable. You are. You're the one that lots of people come to. You are. But there was more than that. It was a sense of being responsible, not just for the people you love, but almost being a little bit codependent with the world. Like you could feel responsible for a stranger. I was like indiscriminate with with the number of people I was codependent with in my youth. Like anybody. I could be codependent with my mail carrier, with my hair colorist. Like it didn't matter. Anyone's problem could become my problem. I had no idea how to sort of let the chips fall where they may when they weren't my chips. I felt like everything was my chips. I'm thinking even about how our use of social media plays into that and the types of relationships that we're building and the challenges around being available and boundaries and how there is this element in there where it feeds something of us when we can be that person to be turned to and to be that caregiver. And it's complicated, isn't it? And so it comes from then part of that is not being able to understand boundaries, not being able to see that separation Mm -hmm. and individuation between two people and how healthy that is, or between you and the world, really. Yes. The thing is, the other base of what high-functioning codependency, the foundation of that is disordered boundaries, right? I mean, that's the whole entire thing, is that I think I'm doing something good, but I'm trampling on your sovereignty by being an auto advice giver, by always thinking I have the answer, by being an auto accommodator. Mm. You know, I tell a story in the book that, you know, this is only, I wish it were longer ago, but it's not. This is about five years ago where I was at my hair salon in the city and it was busy as hell on a Saturday. And it was like, there was a backup for the sinks and I had some mask on my hair. So I was laying in the sink and I felt like I was taking too long in the sink. So instead of meditating or doing something normal that somebody healthy would do, I was like, I should really not, I should tell her that I'll sit, like I'll go somewhere else. I don't care. I have another 10 minutes with this thing on my head. It seems stupid. Why am I managing the sink flow at this very successful salon that doesn't need anything from me, but for me to shut up and lay there? Anyway, I say to one of the assistants, oh, hey, you know, I'll move if whatever. And she was like, okay, we're good, lady. Bye, we're fine. (laughs) Like, you know, she was not, she was not grateful, but I had this massive epiphany and I wrote about it soon after. And about auto-accommodating is what I called it. And it went viral. There was like 130,000 downloads in like 20 days. It was this whole thing where I was like, okay, so it's not just me. Like there are lots and lots of people who are worried about, I'm in the 14 or less line. I have 10, the person behind me has one. They could go ahead of me or they have five. They can go ahead of me. Mm. Like managing out, so much managing out. And here's the thing, because a lot of times people will be like, well, I'm just nice. What's wrong with being nice? I'm like, listen, dude, nothing's wrong with being nice, but this isn't being nice. Helping your elderly neighbor by shoveling the snow from their walk, that's being nice. Managing the sink flow at a fancy salon in New York, no, that's just being crazy controlling for literally no reason. And the auto accommodating, it's something that we have to slow down to stop doing because there's a cost. Here's the whole reason not to do it, Trace, is that there's a cost for doing it. Yeah. Right? It isn't free. 
because it's your bandwidth. It's your nervous system. It's your internal landscape that instead of spending it, I could have been meditating, doing some breathing exercises, listening to Deepak, mm. David G, anybody. Instead, I was worrying about some shit that had nothing to do with me. And I'm like, oh, that's anxiety. That's right. a need to control stuff that is not, again, uh, not letting the chips fall where they may, having no clue as to what is my side of the street and what is someone else's side of the street, which is so much of what I teach in this book. It's like, how do we distinguish what is our responsibility? I think of what it's been like on my own journey in terms of the boundary piece and saying no to things or yes to things. And it's been so interesting to be my own business owner as well and have mm -hmm. people to reach out and want to talk about business and or the consultation of how I'm doing something. And it has been such a journey to be able to say, I can't do that for free. If you would like to book a consultation session, we can do that. And also, Terry, I, I relate to that, especially with our Ottawa winters. But even on a regular rainy day, I have to resist pulling the car over to want to offer people at the bus stop a ride somewhere. I don't know where yeah. they're going. It will make me late. And, and part of that, I think, is that sense of, oh, I'm a nice person. I'm a caregiver. And I do think there's that sense of, but where is that line of what is my responsibility? And I don't need to manage everybody else. And once we come to that... It's so freeing, but I know there's another piece that you talk about. I'm going to loop this into even our holiday experience because I know oh, yes. this season, I don't know about mm -hmm. you, but the DMs and the challenges my clients are showing up with are all about family yeah. right now. And the struggle around boundaries with family is guilt. They feel guilty. Yep. Is this yeah. bad? Is this wrong? Well, let's talk about why. As you know, being a therapist, it, it's helpful for us to have context of like, why is it so hard? Well, mm. if we think about boundaries, right? You think about your relationships. They're all a dance, right? As Dr. Harriet Lerner talks about, right? You do this, I do that. We're all mm -hmm. dancing, whether it's siblings, whether it's with your parents, whether it's with your partner. Now, if you think about who you've been dancing with the very longest in your life, like your family of origin is the original dance troupe when it comes to dysfunctional stuff too, because many of us, hopefully, have I changed and grown since I'm 15? Obviously I have, but yet somehow we get back in with our family of origin and we could just revert back to like having a stupid fight with a sister or just teenage attitude or I don't know. There, there's a way that there's, it's almost like a reproachment or like a regression that can happen with your family of origin. Why? Because they really kick up the kid in you right? You're with your parents. You're fully grown up, but you weren't always with them. So there's lots and lots of reasons. And I also think we have a lot of loyalty issues that come up around differentiating and individuating from our family of origin, mm. where, you know, with families, there's a lot of like, we do this. We are a family that does. We think this is how we are, you know? Yes. And when you differentiate, you're kind of saying, if, if that means, let's just say um, you're going to go home, but you're not going to stay in the family house. You're going to stay in a hotel with your partner because you really want it to be a vacation and you don't want to stay in your high school bedroom or whatever. And that was something that one a therapy client of mine was facing. 
And for years, she would go home and stay in her stupid high school bedroom and have like a miserable time and just be so resentful and be like, why am I doing that? And finally, she was able to say, I really want it to be a vacay. So we booked a bed and breakfast and we'll still come for the things. Her mother was so pissed and she was like, it's okay. First, she was very guilty. I was like, but do you actually think you're doing something wrong? And she was like, no. I was like, okay. So what I say about the family guilt is I really encourage people to not run from it. You might have an automatic reaction when you feel guilty, but I'm going to ask you to stop and take a deep breath and then turn back around and look at what you're running away from. Question the guilt feelings. Do you have a reason? to feel guilty? Or are you? Is it more of a people-pleasing thing? And you just don't want your mother to be mad at you. You just don't want anyone to be mad at you. Because you can acknowledge it. You can say, hey, mom, I see you're upset by our decision, but I really do want to spend a holiday with you. So I appreciate you respecting my decision and understanding to, you know, and, and, and even if she doesn't understand, but you can say, that, you know, I need a break too, or whatever. And the bottom line is we have to be okay with sometimes the people in our life are not going to like the choices we make and they can still love you and you can still love them and you can still go home for the holidays and not do what your mother wants you to do. You can still have fun. And you know what? Now it's three years since my client did that. Nobody's mad at all now. And she loves going because she and her partner get to actually have a little vacation. They could stay in the same bed breakfast. They love it. It's not even a conversation. No one's mad at all. And what she did is it made her look forward to going home rather than resent it. And she's kind of revisited the conversation with her mom, but in a way of like, I really love coming here for the holidays. Now she's not, not doing it to be like, hey, I'm right. She's doing it to, in a way, reinforce like, I can change something and you can be threatened in the beginning and it can still turn out to be a great thing. There's something really beautiful in there about also acknowledging that you don't need to be the version of you that your family wants you to be. So often that struggle of differentiation there is that the family yeah. member wants you to still be the same person wants you to still be the 15-year-old that says, yes, I will do that. Yes, I'm going to stay. Okay, yes, I will, right? Yeah. And that, I think, is a really powerful position to step into, to sit in that discomfort as well, which yeah. is, I'm not that person for you. And I don't want to be that person. And this may not be something you say to your mom, but, or maybe you do, but it's the acknowledgement of, I'm not that person. This is my wish and desire. Yeah. And I love how you talk about guilt there, because I think what's so important is that we recognize you, you had said it. So I want to say it again for people to hear this is that you didn't do something bad. This isn't wrong. You having a desire and a wish and a boundary, that's not a wrong thing. But where we feel that sense of guilt and, and sometimes even shame for people is where we take mm -hmm. on the other person's negative feeling or their upset right. or their disappointment. And that I believe is what leads us to feel guilty. It also leads us to self-abandon. Mm, right. And when we do, we end up really not being able to trust ourselves. We become emotionally untrustworthy people to us. Like we can't count on us 
to have our own back. And another thing is your people in your life, if you are sort of staying a smaller version of yourself or or an earlier version, you're really 2.0, but they're relating to you like you're 1.0. You're also not giving them a chance to know who you are now. And this all blocks intimacy, right? Like if my client continued to like placate her mother and stay in her stupid high school bedroom and whatever, she kept shortening the time when she was going home because she was so resentful. She was uncomfortable. She was like, this feels so ridiculous. So you're doing it to appease, but you're doing it with resentment rather than expansion, rather than joy, rather than love. And rather than taking responsibility for your own happiness, your own desire. And it doesn't mean that we don't compromise. You know, Trace, obviously, we all have relationships with people. If you have a family, if you have any people in your life, if you have any relationships, you will be compromising. But these are conscious choices, not automatic avoidance techniques, right? Because that's so much of the auto yes, when we're just like, yes, 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 Mm. and people pleasing. These are not thoughtful decisions that we're making. These are habituated behaviors that don't rock the boat, but they don't deepen intimacy either. And what's so great about never rocking the boat? Like everybody can swim. We're all going to be fine. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the boat has got to be rocked. Like you're going to be okay. Just like my client had a couple of uncomfortable conversations with her mother And when she realized that the world would not stop spinning on its axis or that nobody was going to spontaneously burst into flames from her choosing to honor how she felt so she could also have a vacation, she was okay. She was uncomfortable with her mother being upset, but she wasn't devastated. She didn't crumble. She didn't go back on it and felt really good about that. And she stood up for she and her partner, right? When we get married, when we, when we leave our family of origin, and there's so much loyalty stuff that goes on, obviously. I have three sons, all married. I married a widower, so these were stepchildren, but I married them, so they're my children to me. And I was like, listen, when you get married, your partner, this is your first family. Me, dad, your brothers, we become your family of origin. Like, So we would always make decisions around Christmas, around who has the youngest baby. We should go to that person or let's meet up at the end in January so that people are not traveling at Christmas. Like really thinking about allowing and encouraging my grown children to center their own family as the center of their life, as it should be, I think, right? And then my husband and my work is the center of my friends, my family, my sisters is the center of my life. My kids are super important. My grandkids are super important, but I don't guilt them when someone has had a baby six weeks ago to like come to New York when they live in Montreal or when they live in Chicago or Dallas or wherever, you know, yeah, guilt. There was such a a powerful conversation I had with a client, which was exactly that was, yes, your parents will always be part of who you are. And now you need to choose your family. Now, this is your first family and you do need to put them first. And that does mean your mother is going to be upset and that can be really uncomfortable and it's the necessary change. I think what you're touching on there too, that I hear from so many people is this loyalty 
to the family tradition. We always do it this way. We always do it on this day. Everybody has to travel to that house to do this structured experience when that doesn't work as your children grow to be adults with their own family now. And then the really hard thing in here is bringing in all of these different dynamics and how complicated our abilities to communicate without personalizing Mm -hmm. it, without attacking, without guilt tripping or making it about ourselves in some way that we come to a space that works for people. And not, again, Mm -hmm. like you had said, person with the youngest baby doesn't mean it's going to be the same as next year or the year after but that gosh that flexibility terry it's such a breath of fresh air to hear you approach that way with your sons and with your family and to build this of course I, i would not expect anything else from you but just in that sense of you know we need parents to be doing this but if our parents can't do this because they're not ready then we have to do it for ourselves Yes. And to not feel bad about doing it. Like this is breaking cycles and you can still be lovingly attached to your parents. Like we don't have to make them wrong. Mm. We just don't need to let them lead if they can't. Right. Like we get to a point where what are we going to do? And I think that for the holidays Mm. this year, um, people really need to think about what they want to experience. Mm. How do you want to feel? right? What do you want to spend your time doing? Make an entire list of all the things you normally do, all the things now that kind of people are out of the pandemic stuff where I think people are gathering and really go down that list. And Maria Kondo, that shit where you go, does this bring me joy or is this shit just an obligation that I literally do not want to do? Mm -hmm. Can I do it for one hour? Is there something in it for me? Would it make my mother happy? Is that enough for me to do it for an hour? Or Am I just going down the list and being like, no, I do not want to. And really looking at maybe there's something that your kids love doing. Maybe it's a hassle for you, but you go, you got young seven and a nine-year-old. You're like, you know what? We're still going to do this stupid thing that they want to do because they love it. Right. But we make decisions based on what we value Mm. and how we want to feel rather than just auto agreeing to all the things, or like you said, doing this because it's the way it's always been done. It can change. I remember the year that my sisters and I changed what we were doing. I have three older sisters and a million nieces and nephews. And you know, there's a point where you're like, nobody can afford to buy for every person. So let's just get for the kids or let, and then we moved it to like a, you know, a thing where you, um, what is it? Like a Raw Chris Rangel type of thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's not about that. It's about let's, be together and volunteer somewhere? How are we recycling things? What are we teaching the kids? Is it all about consumerism or is it about something else? And listen, I'm not judging anyone. If it's about consumerism for you, go for it. Every family system has something different. And in my family, it was important that we were teaching the kids, first of all, how privileged they were. And what can we do to help people who have less, Mm -hmm. right? You don't need any more freaking toys. You literally don't. You need nothing. (laughs) But teaching them about being of service, that's a whole other thing. And that's something that you can switch to if you're not doing that. Kids love it so much when we started doing like soup kitchen and volunteering and, you know, sort of adopting a family for Christmas um, or for the holidays and getting stuff that they really needed. And just you're doing it anonymously, right? So it isn't like you're getting something other than what are you teaching kids? So anyway, Mm -hmm. that was a long way around the barn to get back to asking yourself how you want to feel and then looking at what you normally do and making some decisions based on your truth 
this year. Which is so powerful to pause and reflect and choose wisely from that space. What is your top piece of advice when that family member doesn't respect your boundary or crosses it or because that's the question that I always get from people. It depends on the boundary and it depends on the family member. So if they're trying to like a wear down your no, so let's say you said, I'm not going to cousin Billy's house because everybody gets drunk and I don't want to be there. And they're like, but I can't believe you're not coming because what's your face is going to be there and this one and that one or whatever, or, or we were counting on you to bring X, Y, and Z like that. I can't believe you're not coming. You can just continue to repeat your line, which is actually, no, I've already decided. So I'm not coming to Billy's this year, but I hope you guys have a great time. If they keep coming back, you can, you can just say, you've asked, I've answered. This is the last time I'm having this conversation about it. My, I'm not changing my mind. And again, we can do this without being super hostile. Mm. But when you think about somebody trying to wear down your no, that's pretty hostile. That's pretty disrespectful to not respect it, you know? It takes a lot to stay grounded and regulated in those moments of, I am going to keep taking the high road. I'm not meeting them in the low road. I'm going to stay connected and regulated. And then to have that position of saying, I'm going to end this conversation. We're not going to keep talking about it. But it all comes from that place of compassion and empathy. And I think even starting by understanding that not everybody has done this work and you happen to be the first person in your family. And it's really hard to do that. Yep. And also really the thing that liberated me so much back in the day when I started doing this work was really getting that people didn't have to understand me. Mm. They just had to respect me. I love that. Yes. Terry, I could continue to chat with you all day. I have questions and, but I'm, I'm going to direct people to your Instagram space, to your books, to your workbook that's just come out. These are resources that we need. So I'm going to put all the links in the show notes, but where's the best place for people to go to find you? Well, Instagram probably is the best place. That's where I spend most of my time. TerryCole.com is a good place. I also have a gift for your audience. So it's about codependency. And boundaries. So for clarity, because I really feel like this is something that is so, there's so much confusion. So you guys can get it at boundaryboss.me forward slash I-N-Y-S. Oh, I love that. I'm not your shrink. (laughs) I love that. Oh, thank you so much, Terry. I can't wait for everybody to get their hands on that. We'll put the link down below in the show notes as well so people can go and find it. And we will be keeping your eye out for your next book. I can't wait to get our hands on that one. Next October. Thank you so much, though, for having me. Thank you so much, Terry. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. I think what Terry emphasized around finding our preferences and limits is so important because here is something that is so true in our relationships is that boundaries do need to be flexible in some way and they're going to vary and change over time or change over context and situation depending on who that person is. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Don't forget to like, review and subscribe to the podcast. I read every single review and I love hearing from you. 
It lets me know what's working for us and what you enjoy listening to. Also, did you know you can submit your questions to me to be answered here on the episodes? You can do this on my website, drtracyd.com forward slash podcast. I love getting your questions and answering them here. And if you haven't yet, do check out my resources. My newest session is all about creating inner calm by understanding our nervous system, our triggers, and those times when we are overstimulated and overwhelmed that we are shutting down. You can learn more about this session at drtracyd.com forward slash system. This is one of my favorite things that I teach. I teach this in all of my wellness sessions. It is such a foundational piece that we really need to be having in our relationships and also when we show up to stressful life events. And of course, I have several free resources available for you. Do check out my 100 questions to help you deepen your connection. This is free along with my free masterclass that helps you learn how to repair with your partner after the fight. And of course, one of my favorite and most meaningful resource is the book that I released this year. It's called I Didn't Sign Up For This and it is available on all formats and you can purchase the book wherever you buy books and the audio is available on Audible. Until next time, take good care of you and I will see you next week. Remember, this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not substitute for the care from a licensed mental health care provider. What's up, guys? I'm Gabrielle Stone, host of FML Talk. After being love-bombed, married, and cheated on, trust me, I've got some perspective on love, heartbreak, trauma, and healing. FML Talk has become weekly therapy for my listeners, where I give you a safe space to heal with, of course, a few F-bombs thrown in. Fun girl talk episodes, solo episodes that will guide you on your healing journey, and guests with stories that will leave your jaw on the floor. Grab a cocktail and come hang with me every Wednesday on FML Talk.